Welcome back to another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III, and on this episode, we'll be talking about advances in aviation technology and some aviation engineering trends for 2022 with the CEO of Afusion. First, I want to remind our listeners that we are bringing back our annual Connected Aviation Intelligence Summit to a live in-person format June 1st through the 3rd in the Washington, D.C. region. Go to GCASummit.com for more information. So on today's episode, I recently had the chance to catch up with Vance Hilderman. He's an aviation expert, author, and founder and CEO of Afusion, which is one of the world's leading providers of aviation safety critical consulting services. He's also worked closely with top aviation engineering teams to evaluate and prevent crisis with a focus that ranges from commercial airlines to air cargo carriers and all across the different segments of aviation. I've actually known Vance for several years and interviewed him in the past. Vance has studied the aviation market moves and trends throughout the COVID-19 pandemic and has some exciting predictions for what might occur in 2022. So let's get into our conversation with Vance Hilderman, CEO of Afusion. So Vance, first, for those in our audience who are unaware, can you just give us an introduction to who Vance Hilderman is, how you established Afusion, what type of organization it is, and what are some of your day-to-day activities with the organization right now? Well, great question, Woodrow, and it's really a pleasure to uh, be interviewed by you. In the past, we've met at conferences, over dinner, things like that, but this is terrific. Well, a fusion is a big fish in a small pond, so maybe that makes us a big minnow or a, a small dolphin, you know. But we are the largest company in the world for aviation, and not just avionics. Aviation spans a lot of things, you know, infrastructure, radar systems, satellite systems. But we're the largest aviation development and certification company. And certification is something that people don't think about, but they should Every morning they wake up and there's not an airplane crash on the front page news. That was because of thousands of engineers who followed protocol and certified. And when there is a plane crash, there's what we call root cause analysis. And it often points to a lack, a imperfection in that development certification process. So worldwide, people don't typically realize what a big business aviation is. There's currently 3,000 aviation projects underway somewhere in the world. They range from like little tiny things, which is this business is $100,000, you know, price of a very nice sports car, up to $5 billion. And I did say that. B is in billion dollars for, for, for one aircraft. And we work on about 15 to 20 projects at any given time, our our 50 engineers, and about maybe 30, 40 projects a year. But very innovative things. Big companies like Boeing, Airbus, Honeywell, Rockwell, those aren't our customers, although that's a couple million dollars a year in revenue from them. But companies like Pipistrel, terrific Slovenian company, a little bit of Italian influence, who's made the first certified electric aircraft. So Imagine that. Everybody's heard of Tesla, Elon Musk, and all that. And here we are doing a podcast as well. But Pipistrel has the world's first certified aircraft, electric. Well, we trained them. They used our framework, our processes. We mentored them. And what a, what a big success. But we've got UAVs, uh, both military, civilian, uh, eVTOL. In aviation, that's the buzzword. Electric vertical takeoff and landing. We're, we are going to have tens of thousands whether we like it or not. And remember, people didn't like cars. Oh, I want my horse. Where's my buggy, right? Well, that's called progress. And we're going to have these eVTOLs, urban air mobility. Uh, We're working on U.S. Army future attack helicopter. We've got a new electric passenger aircraft, carries lots of passengers. Uh, Ten governments have selected us to uh, certify and audit their suppliers. We train 5,000 engineers annually. And it's funny, there's four books on this topic. And maybe two of them are the worst, but I'm the author of those two. I I tell my kids that they're the best, but I'm the author of two of those books. Heck, maybe they're the worst, but that's kind of what I am about on a real quick synopsis. 
Sure. And, you, you know, like you said, uh, you know, it's interesting to think about air travel and, um, you know, the, the sort of the systems and software that really make airplanes yeah. fly. Uh, you know, an average air passenger doesn't really think about that, but that's what's responsible <laughs> for, you know, keeping them in that seat in the air, right? Absolutely. And I, I did my pilot's license. There's a lot of pilots out there. I wouldn't say I'm a great pilot, but I passed the pilot equation, you know, number of successful landings equal takeoffs. There's always going to be a landing. We call it gravity, right? <laughs> right, exactly. And so, you know, to set the stage for the listening audience, uh, you know, as you mentioned, I've talked to you many times in the past and even interviewed you about some of the things your company provides in terms of, uh, you know, training aviation engineers on some of the uh, most cutting edge, you know, avionics technologies yeah, yeah. out there. Um, I wanted to start by talking to you about uh, flight management computers, which have, of course, oh. featured on uh, in-service commercial aircraft. And, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's one of my favorite topics to talk to write about Ooh. for avionics, of course, and to sort of understand how they work. Um, so, let, you know, let's start with that, Vance. I mean, what yeah, yeah. is a flight management computer? How does the software for flight management computers on uh, newer oh. in-service commercial aircraft work? Oh, it's really cool. You know, on a modern aircraft, there's over a hundred different systems and they're interrelated in some way, not directly in most cases, although the flight management system uh, or flight management computer, we sometimes call it is is really integral to that. And, you know, in ancient times, right, in technology that's 60 years ago, 60 years ago, we didn't have computers on aircraft. I mean, think about that, just 1960. I mean, ENIAC wouldn't fly. It was too heavy. We couldn't fly it. So we flew manually. And even today, good aircraft and 737, 737 MAX, we know it has some issues, right? But it's going to be the safest aircraft around. It's still flown semi-manually with, you know, yeah, no fly-by-wire, but it has a flight management system, a Cessna, a Cessna 182, for goodness sake, a few hundred thousand dollars has got a flight management system because piloting is challenging and we we have tools and avionics that uh, help, but flight management systems are, are really complex and they essentially automate most of the flight planning. Remember, we used to have three pilots. No, we didn't. Well, yeah, we did. It was called the, the flight engineer. What'd they do? Well, they were the human flight management system, right? And so we automated that out with flight management system, flight management computers, navigation, all this. Pilots used to bring, you know, they used to have a big strong arm. You could always tell a pilot and a tennis player, right? One arm was bigger than the other because the pilot had to carry <laughs> 10 pounds, literally five kilos, four and a half kilos of, you bet, books, maps. Well, that's all in the flight management system now. And so it automates the flight planning, your routes, terrain, airports, all those rather important things. And a lot of standards go into it, uh, a thing called DO, which is document 200B for aeronautical data, one of the chapters in my book. And goodness, there's two companies that provide aeronautical data, and we do the fusion, the certification and auditing for both of them, but they're incredibly expensive, you know. Uh, Flight management system has got a minimum of 100,000 lines of code. And, you know, that's nothing to compare to your iPhone. Your iPhone's got more power than uh, NASA control in Houston during Apollo times. But that's a lot of, lot of software. And a good flight management system today will have north or more, as we say, than 300, 400,000 lines of code. Well, a line of code, kind of like a square foot in a house, there's, you know, 10 square feet in a Square square meter, right? Well, a square meter is going to cost you three thousand bucks over in Europe to build a house, and in the U.S., it's going to be 150, 200 bucks a square foot. Well, that's the old days. Today, it's like three, four hundred. But lines of code is how we measure square footage. Okay, it's how we estimate. So when you've got a flight computer that's got flight management system, three, four hundred thousand lines of code, realizing the whole entire aircraft, goodness, has got ten million. Uh, that's a big chunk. That's the living room in the house. Okay. So it is the living room and they're really cool. Wouldn't want to fly without it, but we can't, it's not the most, it's not flight control. It flight management system interfaces with typically a, an EFAS or uh, sometimes EFAS ICAS uh, electronic flight instrumentation system. It doesn't do flight control. Okay. That's the most critical thing. Primary displays, landing gear, thrust reversers, you know, we call it the most critical. Our, we pilots can land an aircraft, 
without a flight management system. We will have sweaty palms, but thank goodness we've got them and we got a little redundancy there. So yeah, really, really cool things. I didn't know you had such an interest in flight management systems. That's really cool. Woodrow. How'd, how'd that come about? You know, I mean, it, it's just learning um, about modern avionics, kind of the modern avionics cockpit and how wow. the flight management system is really central to, right? uh, you know, if you if you walk in a cockpit and see the displays and, and even the different analog buttons and switches, you know, the, the real <laughs> pilot <laughs> interface is the flight management computer. I mean, it's how they yes, communicate indeed. with controllers and, uh, you know, ascend, descend, or, you know, it's, yeah, it's really yeah. uh, interesting just how it functions within the central uh, yeah. functionality of a flight. It, it really is. When you see the pilots in pre-flight, you know, during flight, they have to keep their doors closed, darn it. But uh, I love the old days when they'd invite you up. Oh, oh, you're a pilot. Oh, you're the guy who wrote the book. Come sit in the, the cockpit. Well, those are gone, right? But uh, when you see the pilot twiddling on the dashboard, you know, airplanes don't look like a Tesla, right? He's twiddling on the dashboard. Uh, that's what he's typically doing, inputting data into the flight management. You know, think about it. PV equals NRT. Everybody knows that, right? All of our listeners go, oh, yeah, that. PV, yeah, oh yeah, air. As air warms up, it gets thinner. Oh, that means I'm going to fly differently. So I got to know the temperature, not just where I am and where I'm at, but along the way at different altitudes. Oh, it's it's a hundred degrees there in Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah, in February. Well, not above Phoenix. It's you know forty degrees Fahrenheit below, right? Uh, Twenty degrees Celsius, negative. So. All that matters. That's the flight management system. Exactly. And, it, you know, it's been one of the most interesting technologies to to cover for us on Avionics International. Yeah. Um, so considering we are, in, you know, still in the first quarter of 2022, obviously, as you know, uh, in the last two years, aviation has gone through something that it's, you know, never seen in its history. Oh, goodness, uh, yeah. You know, kind of a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Um, but, you know, we are in the, in the first quarter, <laughs> right, hopefully, <laughs> um, of 2022 still. Uh, you know, software is is everywhere. I mean, it's it's kind yeah, of brilliant. becoming, you know, Amazing. the essential piece of, of uh, aircraft technology today and, uh, you know, communication, navigation, surveillance, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, if we look at, you know, right now where we are in, in 2022, uh, the type of aircraft that airlines and private charter operators are flying today, if, you know, you, you know, as someone who, who's dealt with this topic so much over uh, the years, what would you say are some of the newest and most cutting edge functionality that software is oh, providing yeah, yeah. on in-service aircraft today? Oh, really cool. And you know, that word software is kind of interesting. Is it soft? Is it firm? Is it hard? Well, well, yeah, what's that, right? Well, it's logic written by humans, but wait, 80% of today's modern Airbus, A350, the new functionality wasn't written by humans and it wasn't space aliens. It was code generated. That's right. Here's the sound. You hear that? Let's do it again. That's a button being pressed that automatically generates the code, right? Well, it's really given Airbus an advantage, but now code or logic, we're moving it into FPGAs, fill programmable gate arrays. And so it's being certified under a hardware standard because software isn't hardware. It, software doesn't have weight and mass unless you're a, a nuclear physicist, right? But hardware does. If it's got weight and mass, it's hardware. So we're moving things into FPGAs because it's cheaper, it's faster. Gosh, there's so many things. We're, we've got increased automation, and it's really interesting. People always ask me, Vance, you had an office in Toulouse. You had an office in Seattle at the same time. I said, yeah, we're mercenaries. We work you know, we're capitalists. We work both sides of the ocean. Uh, Airbus, boy, right? Who makes the best aircraft? Well, folks, which is better? Tesla, Ferrari, Mercedes, BMW, Ford F-150, you know? I've got a Cybertruck on order. That's kind of cool. Uh, it's about automation. And in a perfect Boeing philosophy, we'd have fantastic pilots, and Boeing makes terrific aircraft, folks. They really do. Now, Airbus also makes terrific aircraft. They're different, okay? More automation. So if we had great pilots, one could make the case that Boeing is a safer or better aircraft. And fortunately, 
if we look at the accident statistics, they're both very safe, vastly safer than cars, okay, per mile. So relax, folks. Um, <laughs> right? But Airbus is more automated. So Airbus says, well, wait, we don't have to have great pilots. We could have more average pilots, right? And admittedly, as we, we are growing rapidly, we're exceeding pilot demand. So, I mean, capacity. So we need more average pilots. We start off beginner, but we're licensed, right? Well, Airbus is better if the avionics can always predict. The problem is neither Boeing or Airbus strategy alone can purely work because if we automate everything, the pilots won't have skill. We'll have pilots with 10,000 hours that have never really flown the airplane. And to need really experienced pilots, well, that's just not going to happen. So we need both the Boeing Airbus philosophies with better training, better simulation, more AI, machine learning. Let's talk about that. But that automation, automation, the cockpit's a big thing. Software is only growing. Uh, we got more crowded skies. Well, they weren't very crowded <laughs> the last year and a half, really. But that's coming back, man. It is. I'm flying tomorrow. I'm popping up on a 20-hour flight over to Ankara. Uh, last couple of weeks ago, I was over in Portugal, Spain working. It's coming back. Although not as many business travelers. We're Business people are working more remote. I used to fly 300,000 miles a year at least. I don't think I'll do 100,000 this year. So the separation, uh, we're making the airspace more crowded because we can reduce separation. There's systems on board the aircraft now. It's called ADSB, Automatic uh, Dependent Surveillance Broadcast, in and out. Folks, we can tell the position of that aircraft within two meters. That's the difference between row 11 and row 14. <laughs> okay, so we got it. We got satellites involved now, the new Iridium satellites, and my old company did about $25 million of the programming for the first Iridium, so that's really cool. Satellites are no more MH370, South Indian Ocean. Read, read the French report on that one. You know, Get rid of the conspiracy theories, right? French are maybe not fast, but they're thorough, and my mother's French. Uh, the, the AI thing's interesting. Woodrow, uh, you're, I, I remember chatting with you. You're quite a fan of AI machine learning, right? Of course, yes. Yeah, one of my favorite topics, actually. Yeah, it's really cool. It's You know, it's coming, and I, I would have to say it's going to be in the aircraft about five, seven years after Elon Musk, Mercedes, BMW get it really perfected in the cars. So it's going to have to get perfected in the car first. We're just so risk averse. You know, the, when, when a plane crashes, man, first thing I do is look and go, gosh, I hope it wasn't something I did, right? Knock on wood, fingers crossed, lucky so far. But uh, it's just big news. And so we can't take that risk. Yet we, we just have airlines now, I won't mention their name, uh, UK, low cost, <clears throat> wants to go down to one pilot well folks that's fascinating you know american airlines had a deceased pilot on board and he wasn't in the back he was in the cockpit well folks is there a pilot in the house you know <laughs> doctor in the house i i don't think i want to hear that i'll run up to the cockpit and do my best but uh i'm not a licensed uh civil aviation pilot goodness so that's interesting but the automations do that the we've got manned satellites now a fusion's working on a project with NASA to put uh, orbiting satellites with people so astronauts can have a staging area. Well, well that's interesting. Is it an aircraft? Well, no, it's not in the air, but well, it's kind of like an aircraft, right? It's orbiting the Earth. So all these things, we've got space tourism. Again, a couple of those, there's three big names, uh, Blue Origin, uh, SpaceX, Virgin Galactic, uh, Branson. And two of those of our, our Fusion clients, I won't say which ones, but one of them is real good at using the standards, right? So it's just really burgeoning. There's a lot of technology, but let's go back to that AI machine learning thing, Woodrow. When did you get interested in machine learning AI, man? You know, I'd, I'd have to say I really started to uh, gain more of an interest, especially in covering artificial intelligence and machine learning. Uh, when you, something you mentioned earlier, electric air taxis, uh, when, yeah, when yeah. some of those companies in their earliest uh, designs, you know, when 
when, uh, for example, Airbus released the uh, patent design for its Vahana aircraft, which oh, they yes. used to fly yes. test on California for, you know, what they want to do with vision-based systems for commercial aircraft. One of the key things that they mentioned actually uh, was that they would need some type of machine learning so that the aircraft would learn yeah, how yeah. to fly itself unmanned instead of, you know, relying on a human pilot uh, and, and just learning, you know, what it would take to actually get a system that is automated and doesn't need human intervention certified yeah, yeah. and placed on an airplane, of course, <laughs> is a you know, really challenging task. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I'd say that's where my interest really started. But yeah, let, let's let's talk that's, about that's cool. that a little bit. I mean, it's, absolutely. It's, you know, it's 2022. Um, what, what's kind of the status of AI today in aviation? Yeah, yeah. And where do you see it going in 2022? Oh, it's, it's really cool. And finally, aviation is recognizing it. And, you know, Boeing and uh, Airbus are fierce competitors. It, it's easy to read the news and realize maybe everything we read isn't true, right? You can hear about oh hostilities between certain countries, and yet at the same time you learn a couple countries that I'm going to real soon uh, <laughs> tomorrow. Uh, their number one trading partner is of a different culture, a different religion, and oh my goodness, there's just a lot of integration that we don't think about. Um, machine learning, so. Let's start. What, what is machine learning or AI? Uh, if I program my cappuccino machine, which I do, I hate alarm clocks. So 4.30 in the morning, my cappuccino machine, zzz, I wake up with it. I smell a cup. That's not AI. Okay. AI in its, its purest form is the result of the same inputs. Remember? Yeah. The definition of stupidity. <laughs> Having the same actions, expecting a different result, right? Well, wait, wait. Machine learning is the opposite of stupidity, but it does just that. The same inputs produce a different result. And that's you learn when you touch a hot stove, okay? Oh, cool. So hot red burner. I wonder if it's hot. Well, you'll do that once, right? Um, Only once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And so machine learning is about that. And so it's not just programming or predictive. That's an expert system. Uh, a lot of times when we Google, uh, something pops up. That's not really machine learning. It could be. Google, Amazon have a good machine learning AI going on. Um, but it's typically epitomized or uh, built with a deep neural network that has a learning ability. And so it's happening in aviation, just not passengers. It's too risky for no one, FAA, EASA, European Aviation Safety Agency, the EASA equivalent. And EASA used to be FAA's little brother, right? Well, having three sons, we know the little brother wants to be the big brother. And EASA did it. EASA is bigger than FAA today. Uh, better funded, I, I might add as well. Um, but Boeing and Airbus are working together on AI. But the military, US military, we work, work a lot of military projects we can't talk about. But you could read the news about AI and UAVs for cargo not huge cargo, but how about bringing some supplies, bringing out a wounded soldier, avoiding terrain, using LIDAR. And one of our clients is the leader in that. We've got another client, big name you've heard of in Australia. You can figure out who this is. Maybe they have some UAVs. Maybe these UAVs are, well, by definition, unmanned. Maybe they can fly in formation. Maybe they can assist a fighter aircraft or cargo aircraft to on a mission, recon mission, and use the swarming UAV to penetrate radar but with less loss of life. Maybe they'd be really loyal to hang out on the wing. Well, what a great name that would be, right? Loyal. That yeah, is a great name. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool. But we're doing AI on the ground and gradually introducing it. But what do I think we're years away? I think, uh, I think we're a few years away from self-driving certified cars in USA. We, I think we have more attorneys than we do uh, aviation engineers. <laughs> so a little humor. Um, a few years after we see certified self-driving cars, we'll see the same thing, probably starting with small aircraft. You know, uh, some aircraft, uh, Garmin has the Autoland system. Pilot right. is incapacitated, push a button. Passengers get walked through the sequence. That aircraft's going to land itself. Now, that's not AI. That's all pre-planned, but that's the first step of that. That's really cool. 
That was actually my next question. You know, would you describe an, an Autoland function like that as artificial intelligence? I, I would not because the Autoland system doesn't possess uh, AI. It will produce the exact same outputs for the same inputs. And that's how it's certified. We have these standards. That's what a couple of my books are about. Stupid names like DO178, DO254. Well, if, if we have an audience listener right now in America, they know what 401k, oh, that's a savings plan. Well, nobody in Europe knows 401. I thought that was 908, right? Well, DO178, everybody in aviation knows it. Okay. And there's, we think there's about 60, 70,000 practitioners of DO178. I think 10,000 of them are members of our LinkedIn group, uh, DO178 for engineers, managers, you know. Um, with DO178, what we tell people joking that, that D, stands for determinism. So in all of our listeners' countries, hopefully, you're innocent until proven guilty, right? Well, not in aviation. You're guilty, all of you and me, until we prove our innocence, our innocence of violating yeah, determinism, being undeterminate. Well, AI, it's an interesting question. Is it deterministic? Can we, Woodrow, let's think, step back, can you and I guarantee that a true AI system that's learning, evolving, will learn and evolve in the same way that we can predict exactly what it's going to do? That is an interesting Ooh, question. Right. Well, we'd have to for DO, determinism. Yeah, DO-178. And so that's the challenge. So Autoland, it's been tested under thousands of scenarios as part of the FAA ESA certification. What about this altitude, this bank angle? What about, yeah, all these things? And so it doesn't produce an unsafe result. Okay. So that's the key. <laughs> so we're, we have some ideas. Uh, uh, Fusion is the teacher for SAE's class, the Society of Aerospace Engineers, and also Automotive Engineers, SAE. They're the ones who literally, absolutely wrote the standard. ARP, for, there we go, acronyms, right? Avalish, we don't really speak. English, we speak aviation English, Avalish, all these acronyms. Uh, ARP, Aerospace Recommended Practice, 4754. I'm one of their teachers. We do all of SAE's teaching. Well, there's a new version out and just got released two weeks ago. Kind of cool. 4754B, draft version. So that walks us through that process of uh, aviation safety. And so we're deploying that on, on these systems. But SAE also is leading the way on AI machine learning. They've got a couple neat books that they've written. And one of our engineers, uh, Mr. Aaron David, really brilliant gentleman uh, based in Israel, uh, he, he manages our cybersecurity uh, practice at, at Effusion. He's on that committee with the AI machine learning, and it's really cool. So a lot of advances, people working together more than competing because it's kind of like the wine business in Napa Valley. We're all in this together, baby. Let's go uh, make some successful business in the wine business. Well, aviation's a little more challenging than that. <laughs> it is. It is. And, you know, you, you mentioned we're all in this to, together, and that actually takes me to my next question for you. You know, we, we, we talked about it before a little bit. Over the last two years, obviously, you know, kind of once in a lifetime uh, impact of COVID. But if you look at, you know, mainstream headlines, and even aviation publications have mainly covered how that has impacted commercial air travel. Obviously, demand went down because, you know, nobody oh, could yeah. figure out where the regulations were and you need a, a you know, vaccine to get into certain countries. Now that's starting to kind of yeah. uh, size itself and, and, you know, people are kind of figuring out where you can fly. And uh, we're, we're kind of past that whole point. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Right, right. <laughs> but, you know, um, one of the things that was always interesting to me to, to, to monitor over the last two years is that there were still avionics and aircraft and aerospace companies coming out with new technologies and even yeah, yeah. talking about research and development around new technologies while, you know, you know, if you look at CNN and any day over the last two years, just <laughs> air travel, it just looks like the end uh, of the aviation business, you know, but uh, it was no, always no. interesting to me to, to see, like you mentioned the Autoland system, I believe that came out 
you know, <laughs> advanced in, to a, a different uh, types of aircraft during yeah, the yeah. pandemic, actually. Indeed, um, indeed, right. And now, you know, right. And, you know, now we're in 2022. Um, but can you kind of reflect back on what that, you know, kind of mainstream impact of COVID having on commercial oh. air travel, how did that kind of overflow into oh, the type yeah. of services and work that you provide? Oh, great, great question. You know, it's, it's a little bit like squeezing a balloon. You squeeze it, you make it really small in one area, but it pops out another. So we squeezed the balloon for the airlines, the poor uh, flight attendants, passengers that couldn't get to where they wanted to go, you know, um, because of vaccination. Pilots were furloughed. But for every pilot and flight attendant, there's like 10 times more people on the ground. Well, they were laid off. Now, in the U.S., in some countries, they had some decent, not great, but maybe some decent financial help, you know. Hope they learned to play the guitar or, you know, raised the kids, did some yoga maybe. But, no, they were hurting. But we squeeze that balloon, it pops out someplace else, okay? It's kind of like uh, restaurants. They got squeezed. Well, the, the, the food delivery companies exploded, right? So all of us are now doing things with food delivery. We're working differently. We're eating differently. Well, with aviation, it was a huge impact. All the MROs, the maintenance repair, well, since the number of aircraft uh, greatly diminished, um, we took the time and we we're still kind of into that 737 max. It happened, you know, a year before uh, the pandemic. And it was a nice time to be able to sort through that and learn from that. And that's a neat thing about aviation. We're mostly a group of engineers, a little nerdy, and we're looking for solutions. We don't really point fingers. We don't like uh, casting aspersions. So, and recognize that Airbus, Boeing, no one's perfect. It takes a thousand engineers to do a great job and make a safe airplane. It only takes two or three people Boeing, Airbus, hey, we've, it's all happened everywhere, to maybe not be as diligent at something as they should have been. So we've improved the, uh, the standards. The cybersecurity, that's an interesting one. This is really important. Hackers taking over aircraft. So we have new regulations. Those have been perfected. We're looking at new ways of uh, developing software, hardware. The, it's interesting. There is so much demand for engineering. Uh, I, I was a visiting professor uh, two months ago over in Spain at the University of Malaga in southern Spain. Nice, nice stint, by the way. Have you been to Malaga? You know, I have not. It, it does. I, I have been told though there's many places in Spain I need to to visit. I haven't oh, heard of that one though. Let me know. They're, they've got a new aerospace school, and I was the visiting professor for a week teaching their students. Wow, what a skilled bunch of master's degree phd level students that that was we just need so many more engineers we let's talk about that in fact but but yeah the covid it, it gave us a little bit of a pause i do think that covid had a more significant immediate impact on humanity and technology than anything else that's happened the computers and the wheel the wheel took hundreds of years to be effective <laughs> the computers Man, that was 15 years. You know, I remember my first computer. What are you going to do with that thing? Oh, I don't know, but it's really cool, right? It doesn't do anything. Well, <laughs> COVID did something really quick. In six months, it changed everything. And so a lot of people were seriously impacted, but the engineers generally were not. And we're doing more cool projects because we learned that we're going to not be going back to the office as much. We're not going to be taking as many business trips. That means we have a lot more time for relaxation, maybe. Okay, less time on the freeway. But we're going to need different forms of travel. When we fly, we're looking at maybe from a pleasure standpoint uh, and the routing. We, we're not going to want to go through all these airports. Uh, did a trip last month internationally, went through three different countries, three different COVID protocols. And I didn't have one of the forms. Oh, my, I missed my flight. I, I had to spend an hour and a half doing the form thing. That's untenable. But what, that, what that's done is caused us to be a little smarter on planning for our travel, fewer stops. And so if we look at the airlines, where they're deploying aircraft, 
Um, a lot of these smaller destinations that people were going to for business, they're losing their flights. But it's a balloon. You squeeze it one place. A lot of these towns that were more tourist oriented are really crowded now. We've got a second home in a, a touristy city. And oh, my goodness, it's crowded. We wonder if anybody's working. But there's, a, there's twice as many flights to that town as there ever was before. So, yeah, huge changes, Woodrow. Amazing. Lots of changes for sure. And I do want to talk about aviation engineering jobs, but I do have to ask first, um, you, you mentioned there a uh, little bit of a uh, uh, kind of, I guess, uh, engagement with the regulatory aspect of aviation by going through some of those protocols. Now, of course, that was more on the, uh, you know, civil aviation side, but uh, yeah. you know, regarding um, just the regulatory environment for, for yeah, aviation yeah. engineering, how do you see that changing in 2022? And, and what, oh, yeah, what has yeah. changed, you know, over the last year or so? Well, it, it's really cool. And I don't know, you think we should startle our listeners? I think we should. Why not? Let's startle them. Okay, listeners, check this out. You take your car into the mechanic, you come home, and your toilet's leaking. You need a, yeah, you need a plumber. Well, when you take your car to the mechanic, that mechanic is certified. When you call a plumber, unless you're, you know, yeah, finding the cheap neighbor for a few dollars an hour, he is licensed. She is licensed. Well, I got some interesting news. The people programming your aircraft are not licensed in any way. <laughs> there is no license, right? Yeah, it's amazing. A, a dental hygienist to touch the inside of someone else's mouth with a rubber glove, I might add. And last time I was at the dentist, I actually took my ma mask off. I kind of had to do that, right? We're going to joke about this, folks. Someday, Kids, I used to go to the bank wearing a mask. No, you didn't, Grandpa. <laughs> but but uh, aviation engineers were not licensed. Ooh, that means something else has to happen. And what happens is someone else, independent, different than us, checks everything we do like every every single step not just the output but the process how we did it and that's what woodrow's referring to as certification now military aircraft they're not certified faes typically are not involved unless it's a you know kc-146 tanker boeing platform you know military but we're certified and so or military is compliant right same thing but that means we have these regulations and they're getting more and more complex. The title of my latest book, in fact, is, yeah, the aviation development ecosystem because it's that interrelationship. So it's growing, it's expanding. And certification is kind of like a tax. The more critical or complex it is, the higher the tax you pay in terms of extra rigor and uh, assessing and verifying, proving its reliability. Well, folks, I don't know about you, but from my experience, I've been around a few years. Taxes, Woodrow, do your taxes keep going down? Uh, unfortunately not, no. <laughs> no, they don't, they don't. It's human nature. We want more from government. There's inflation. As you grow, there's inefficiencies, right? It's the same thing in our tax, the taxes certification, okay? And I'm going to be quiet just a minute. You hear that siren in the background? I yeah, do. exactly. <laughs> They were hearing about the aviation tax. They're coming to rescue us, right? Because we're paying <laughs> too much tax. But that, folks, those taxes are just going up. There's greatly increased regulation. We're trying to streamline it. We've got working committees with Europe, South America, especially Brazil, North America, Canada, Transport Canada, FA. And we're trying to simplify, but we can't. It's getting a lot more complex. So we need more rules. You got more people. Um, yep. Welcome to the world of increasing taxes and regulation. <laughs> now, let, let me ask as a follow-up to that, maybe as like an example, um, if you're an engineer or a company or even an airline that wants to maybe put some, you know, let's say you have a brand new fleet of aircraft and you're looking at putting in-flight internet, one of my oh, yeah. favorite oh, technologies, yeah. of course, right, on totally. the aircraft. Um, 
how is that becoming maybe more complex? Because it, like you said earlier, cybersecurity mm. is a very big concern right now uh, for not only civil aviation, but really almost every industry. Oh, yeah. Everybody oh, yeah. adds more technology and digital oh, transformation yeah. to their processes, right? What, <laughs> you know, how, how is that, uh, you know, if you're, if you're an airline looking at, you know, you have a fleet of aircraft without connectivity today and you want to put the internet on there how has that type of process become more complex it sure has you know i was flying two months ago got in i got a first class upgrade uh i must have smiled or something but i think it's all those miles i had previously i think i've at three million miles on united airline for goodness sake um i've never watched george clooney up in the air you know and that where he flies all the time. I, I'm pretty sure they stole the script from my life, and I I don't want to be uh, unduly influenced. But I got up there, and there's no plug. I can't plug in my laptop. I'm nine hours. It's like, are you kidding me? And it, folks, 15 years ago, we didn't have plugs in the aircraft. So like Woodrow says, it's it's really there's no internet. Are you kidding? Well, my buddy has a Tesla, and he had just got it, needed a little repair, so he calls Tesla. And he says, I need this done. They said, no problem. We'll come to you. He goes, you come to me? I go, yeah, yeah. He goes, okay, tell me. Um, I'll, I'll give you my address. They said, uh, we know where your car is, sir. He goes, oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, tell me when you get here. So I'll come out and unlock it for you. I'll come out and unlock it. They said, sir, no, that's not necessary. We can handle that also. What Can you imagine? Um, in a few years, we have self-driving cars. Maybe I forgot to pay my parking ticket somewhere and all of a sudden my car locks and takes me to the police station. <laughs> well, yeah, or someone hacks me and takes me to the police station. Well, in aviation, you know, we've all read that story about, I think it was a 747 that was hacked. A guy from the flight entertainment took over the flight control. And uh, um, that is complete nonsense. I worked on that crap aircraft. That flight control <laughs> has nothing to do with that passenger entertainment system. There is no path. It's like, you know, going through the center of the earth to get to China, right? That isn't going to happen. So, but, <laughs> but there are paths through the center of the earth on new aircraft. And that's the challenge. So on new aircraft, we're, we're doing things with the uh, connectivity. We don't just allow, allow your grandma, grandpa's ethernet. You know, did grandma and grandpa, Woodrow, I don't think my grandma and grandpa had Ethernet. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they had it yet for me. <laughs> man, man, what a tough life. Now, that was a fascinating change. Uh, grandma and grandpa, the change they had in their life on aviation, right? But we have now uh, uh, aviation full duplex Ethernet, AFDX. And so it's not inherently secure. So we're working with a client now, in fact, uh, a client in Spain, whose specialty is communications, a really cool small company, uh, 30 engineers, and they're using all our processes, frameworks, all that stuff. But they're adding cybersecurity to that connectivity. So cybersecurity is under what's called DO326A or in Europe, uh, ED, European document, uh, 202A. And it's about, and Aaron David runs our cybersecurity practice, real smart guy, does all the training and protocols on that. Um, I mean, wouldn't you want an Israeli guy, seriously, to do your cybersecurity? Well, of course, yeah. Um, <laughs> but so as we make the software and the hardware, is somebody hacking us? Russia, China, America, NSA. Is it, it'll be anybody, folks. Let's be honest. Uh, Mr. Snowden kind of told us that, right? Um, so can we really ensure that during development we haven't been hacked so a, a, a black hatter you know we got white hat but black hat a black hatter hasn't infiltrated our libraries if i was a cyber guy and i'm a computer guy i got a few college degrees and i'm pretty comfortable with computers um i would go after the libraries everybody uses libraries you know there's these things that pre-purchased pre-acquired uh software if you will all certified but I'd hack somebody's libraries and put my malware in there. And then those are not as diligently certified as the custom uh, software that we write, you know. But then during deployment of the, the aircraft, when we make updates, and we do, 
ooh, how do we update? We don't do it like Tesla where they just send you an update or ever been on your computer, anybody? And Windows is what? No, I need my computer. No, you don't own your computer. That Microsoft owns that. Apple sometimes. So these updates happen automatically. Well, what is being loaded? We don't do aircraft that way. Oh, my goodness. We manually update. We check. We, we read back with what's called a, a CRC, a cyclic redundancy check, a, 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 a third-order polynomial or something, and that assesses the bit patterns. But there's vulnerabilities there, okay? So to what degree is our aviation network, and not just the aircraft, but the ground, vulnerable? Well, it is, okay? We've just been really fortunate that the bad people haven't had the wherewithal or desire to go after it, but we are vulnerable, okay? Right. Interesting. Right. Yeah, it is a very interesting topic. Um, you know, kind of the the cyber element of of in flight internet. Uh, and you know, so you, you mentioned uh, we talked a little bit about aviation engineering jobs and oh yeah, uh, you know the type of training that a fusion provides. Now, again, you know, as we're kind of early here in twenty twenty two. What are some of the aviation engineering jobs that are most in demand right now? You know, who's who's kind of oh, yeah. hiring them? What what are some of the roles and um, what are some of the you know services you're seeing the most demand for in, t- in terms of training? Oh, great question! In all honesty and absolute no nonsense, I could not have predicted the surge in demand. I've been doing this for decades, and I remember the dot com bubble. You know, in the late nineties. We were competing, we were growing, business was good, lots of money, lots of cash, and we're competing for engineers with the dot-com, you know, telecom, uh, devices, everything, dot-com, pets.com, that was a big one. How'd that work out? Well, you know, um, now with aviation, it's unprecedented. It makes that look like nothing. There are no unemployed aviation engineers, and I mean zero. Okay, people are coming out of retirement, out of the wood, moving from other fields, any of the STEMs, uh, you know, science, uh, technology, engineering, math, uh, physics, those are in demand where we need people from over there. When I go to a lot of conferences and I'm often asked to be a guest speaker, I look around and it makes me feel young. It's like the fountain of youth. I'm the youngest guy in the room and I'm not the youngest guy in the room. Goodness. And so we've got too many old people. And I don't mean just old, old. I mean, people who are legitimately nearing retirement. And I think the younger people would maybe don't think aviation's exciting, you know, but folks, we have the coolest jobs. We get to do modeling. We have to reverse engineer a lot of software, create a new, lot of new functionality. On an aircraft, modern aircraft, there's over $1 billion, with a B, dollars worth of software in there that we've got to maintain, update, replace. Okay, we're gradually doing that. The software uh, is really in demand. So, folks, if you can learn real software, DO-178, take classes. Uh, there's we, we put training videos online. Just look at our company, A-F-U-Z-I-O-N with a Z, okay, a fusion with a Z, under YouTube. And there's a dozen free training modules. So we get a lot of students who don't have money to you know, spend a couple thousand bucks and come to our training classes. So we steer them towards the, the free training. Our white papers, their chapters from my book, we give those up, up free. A lot of thousands of people download those every month. So those are cool. But I would say that for students, they should look at machine learning, cybersecurity, uh, automated tools, uh, development of tools, uh, modeling, uh, uh, real programming, where we're actually uh, working with the hardware. Okay, it's a lot of fun. And we have big budgets. The programs have discipline. You don't just have to throw something out code it up and, you know, ship it and wonder how it works. We, we get to work with it. Uh, there's, there's research projects. You can work on military aircraft. You can work on civil. All they do, eVTOL, there's 600, 600, 600 eVTOL designs, different companies all under development right now. Each one of those companies needs 100 to 500 engineers. So it's, we need tens of thousands of new engineers. We don't have them. We need them. Right. 
Yeah, that's 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 great to hear. You know, and especially uh, like you said, a lot of a lot of uh, students may may not find aviation that exciting. But trust me, you know, once you get into <laughs> it, you you, you just yeah. never, never want to get out. Um, so you know, if if you looked maybe in the next two to three years or so, uh, we, we talked about AI and machine learning, obviously. Yeah. Um, but you know, do you see that demand increasing for the types of engineers that can develop? artificial oh, yeah. intelligence and machine learning applications for, for aviation in the next couple yeah. of years or so? Absolutely. In fact, every one of the projects that we're working on, and there's three or four that are using autonomy and AI you know, to improve automation, every one of those needs additional engineers. They can't find enough. And you hear these stories in San Jose, Silicon Valley, of AI engineers making half a million a million dollars a year, I go, oh my goodness. Well, I'm sorry, aviation doesn't pay that much, so that's not going to happen. But folks, we're real engineers, and we need really smart people. Our jobs are going to last a lifetime if you want. And when you're making a, a more simplistic consumer device, it's going to be done in 6, 12. No one's going to wait five years, typically. It's going to be done in 6, 12 months. But our projects, since the evolution never ends. Our projects can literally keep you more than busy for as many years as you want as you branch into new divisions, apply the uh, new technologies. What about making a machine that automatically programmed via modeling the AI and assessed it with a formal method, okay, uh, a formal method, a, a, a mathematical language that ensures mathematical closure. Uh, all possible inputs, output states are represented, including the time domain, right? So that would be cool. If I was 25 years old, that's what I'd be diving into. Or automated cybersecurity that could automatically assess in real-time threats. Oh, lifetime employment there. Uh, Woodrow, I think I want to be 25 years old again. <laughs> yeah yeah you know it is an exciting time especially to think about you know the, the future possibility of uh, electric air taxis um yeah, yeah. VTOLs. you know it's a really exciting time well i think vance uh you know our audience definitely got smarter listening to this interview and uh, i want to say thanks for coming on the podcast today oh it's a really great chat with you thanks for inviting me That brings us to the end of another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast. You can subscribe to our podcast on the Apple iOS podcast app or any smartphone or tablet podcasting application. Feel free to rank and comment on our podcast as well to let us know how we can improve. It also helps others find the podcast. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast.